Hey, welcome to the Hamilton Hills Church Podcast. We're so glad that you decided to listen today. We have a saying in our church, life is messy, everyone is welcome, and anything is possible. So no matter where you're at in your life, we hope that this message brings you some encouragement. Enjoy. How many of you believe today that God wants to speak to you in this moment? I believe that, and I believe that with all my heart, in a growing church, a growing church is always in transition. God did not bring you to himself today for you to be a better person. He brought you to himself today for you to bring glory to his name. When a Jesus follower brings glory to his name, and then it changes people's lives. It causes the kingdom to expand. God is building his kingdom here until he calls us one day together in glory and to live for eternity in heaven as Jesus followers. And we're talking about a series in between a couple things. We have two more weeks to go called Expand. We're talking about expanding the kingdom of God. When people think expansion, especially in Hamilton County, even more so in Fishers, we think expansion meaning buildings. We think expansion meaning something new uh, uh, business going up. We think expansion, it seems like everything is on steroids and everything has to be bigger and better every week in Hamilton County. Uh, We're going to kind of resist that as a church and not look for a mega, but look for multiply and multiplying the kingdom of God by telling others who he is in our life. Uh, you with me on that? I believe that that's the, what God wants us to do. That was just awesome. Uh, I'm glad you're with me. But uh, uh, I was in Starbucks this week and, uh, or last week, and I had someone come up to me, and uh, it was a couple And they came up to me and they said, are you Pastor Mark? And I said, yes, I think so, unless you want to arrest me. Um, But uh, I I am. And they said, well, we've been coming to Hamilton Hills for uh, about two months now. I said, awesome. They said, "Uh, a friend of ours received Jesus Christ as his Savior. And uh, he came and told us about it. Uh, We had stopped going to church. Our marriage was struggling. And uh, our marriage has been strengthened. We've renewed our faith, and we're excited about our walk with Jesus again. Isn't that awesome? All from Hamilton Hills Church, and I'm excited that that's happening here. What that tells me is, is God's expanding, and he wants to expand where men and women will live humbly before him. We're in a series, Expand, and before I get started on that, we had a video about our financial giving and then our database. Everything is being changed over. Melissa Sanders that Matt on the video is talking about is in the back. Everybody turn to Melissa, wave and say, hi, Melissa. Okay, and uh, she will be in the lobby to answer any questions. She's over our database. If you have any questions about the giving or any uh, information about um, your family and all that kind of stuff or the directory of the church that's digital, see her after the service. Anyway, Paul was uh, challenging the church of Corinth about their financial giving. And he was challenging them about not only their financial giving, but giving a generous life. The last several weeks, we've talked many things and aspects in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9 about generosity and expanding the kingdom of God. Today, we're actually going to talk about giving generously. What's it take to be a generous person and giving generously? You see, I believe God positions people in cities and places for times and events that God has planned in lives. Sometimes people places, uh, uh, God places people in areas like this. 
I even think you see that in Bible times. The first week I spoke on the church of Macedonia, and they were very poor in poverty, but they willingly gave of themselves, and, and they gave financially to the cause of people who were being persecuted and in poverty. And then Paul used them as an example to the church of Corinth. And he came to the church of Corinth that was wealthy. That city was a crossroads to the nation. And that city was very influential and affluent in many areas. And he came to them and he talked to them about giving financially and giving their lives to Jesus, not just for their city, but for also cities all over so they could reach the world for Jesus Christ. One of the reasons I came to this city and I came to the Indianapolis area is because I believe that this area is strategically put in America that can change not only Americans' lives all over the nation, but the world. I know you don't believe that, but I believe it. I believe it's the crossroads of America, not because someone named it. I believe God strategically put us here. God strategically built this city. God strategically put place, things in place in this city so that he could build his kingdom here and effect the nations for himself, Jesus Christ. I believe that with all my heart. And hopefully, since no one else believes that in this room, uh, I hope by the end of this sermon, you'll believe that or I'm going to cry and I'm still going to believe it. Not really. But I believe that God placed us in this area strategically to be generous. I love to hear stories of life change. It keeps me going. It makes me realize that even though life is messy, that Doing life change is the most important thing that you can do. And Jesus is the author of the local church, and, 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 and his intention was for us to expand his kingdom. The reason you're here today is not to pack more people in. It's not to be in the overflow room, though I, I appreciate that. It's for us to do all this, to, 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 to put that motto, life is messy, and to tell people you can come just the way you are. You can belong before you believe at Hamilton Hills because Jesus loves you no matter the decisions you make in your life, and he can change your life forever. I truly believe that's what the local church is all about because Jesus is the cornerstone of the church, not Mark Neal or any leader, any person in this church. And so I believe that we are going to continue to expand the kingdom in Hamilton County. I believe if we're going to continue to allow this church to be like it is with the spirit it has, then we have to understand a piece that we don't want to give away is something that I want to talk very boldly about, and that's our giving financially. That's our giving of our life generously. And as we look, generous is defined as characterized by a noble or kindly spirit, liberal in giving. Some synonyms of generous include big-hearted, charitable, free-handed, unselfish. There's some powerful examples of generous giving that help change lives in big ways. I know people think you have to give generously if you have money, but that's not true. A boy gave his lunch to Jesus' disciples in John chapter number 6. A widow gave her last two coins at the temple in Luke chapter number 21. A woman gave expensive perfume to Jesus by pouring it on his feet in John chapter 12. The good Samaritan gave money to care for the wounded Jewish man in Luke chapter number 10. Joseph gave food and living space to his family that sold him into slavery in Genesis 45. The Philippian church gave to Paul's ministry in Philippians 4. Paul, quoting Jesus, wrote, it is more blessed to give than to what class? Receive. 
Acts 20, 35. God is the perfect example of generosity in John 3, 16. Anybody ever heard of that verse? Watch NFL this afternoon. It'll be in the end zone. Anytime you study a movement of God, I want you to understand this. Anytime you study a movement of God in a family, a movement of God in a church, a movement of God in a city, a movement of God in an area, anytime that you see revival, a movement of God, there's two ingredients to it. The first ingredient is prayer. Prayer. Prayer doesn't lead you to the work. Prayer is the work. And the second ingredient to any movement of God is generosity. Any movement of God you see in the New Testament started with prayer and then started with generosity. Prayer and generosity. I'm so sick of the term that Christians use when they say sacrificial giving. No, 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 no. A sacrifice is when you come from heaven and you lay your body on a cross and you die for mankind. Generous living is when you understand that what you deserve is death and hell forever, but what God gave you as a sacrifice is his son to live for eternity in heaven with him so you generously give back to him because you understand without him you and I are nothing and you want the whole world to know that that is true. That's a generous life. A generous life. And so as we look and study an unbelievable generosity is what it takes. As we continue in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we are seeing a pattern of Christians are to be giving graciously, enthusiastically, and generously. I want you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9 with me. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we pick up the story that we've been reading for several weeks now, and we get right to the point. Actually, Paul even really says this point is this in verse uh, number uh, 6. If you look with me in verse number 6, it says the point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need. Paul was reminding them, the creator of the universe will supply all your needs. Now, let's do a little Bible study. Need means not what you want, but what you need. Was that deep? I'm a deep theologian here. Need what you need, not what you want. Many people are asking God for what they want. That's the flaw of prosperity gospel. I believe it's straight out of hell. I believe that people think that when they give to God, then God's going to give them what they want. I don't control God. God's to control me. God gives me what I need when I need it for the kingdom of God that I give back to him because he's given everything to me. Man, I'm fired up today. That's awesome. And as you look at this passage of Scripture in verse 10, it says, Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. You see, this passage follows Paul's logic in the previous sections. Christians are to give graciously, enthusiastically, and generously. It's interesting that in these verses, Paul's argument shifts its focus regarding a Christian's motivation to give. Paul builds on the discussion of Christian giving as a response to God's graciousness for us to another motivating forgiving. 
In these verses, Paul emphasizes the fact that God blesses those who give. Now, now let me explain. Let me give you a little background of this text. Many evangelical pastors and leaders are hesitant to deal with this concept. This is often in response to the so-called gospel prosperity. That uses materialism and greed as motivation for Christian giving. It's important to note that Paul is not teaching that God blesses those who give. While God promises to bless those who give, he will do it in various ways. For example, a prosperity gospel preacher who teaches that God will give you four times back the money you give to God is not correctly understanding Paul's teaching. God will bless those who give. It may be through meeting their needs and not necessarily their wants through allowing them to experience the joy of giving or giving them additional rewards in heaven. Don't buy into the fact that you need to give toward this project so you'll get four times back the money that he has, you have given. It's not true. It could be, could not be. God blesses in all different ways. You see, Paul shifts from negative to positive when he talks to the Christian people about their giving. I believe uh, coaches, parents, teachers, or pastors may have to use both tools at times. We live in a world where everything must be positive and you cannot point out any deficiency at all. And if you do that, you're a divider and you're a hater and you need counseling yourself. But I believe that that's a detriment to society to think that way. I believe there are times that you must use constructive criticism, but for every criticism, I believe there should be four times the positive motivation. And there's nothing like positive motivation that moves people to succeed. While Paul uses both constructive criticism and positive motivation, he turns it now to positive motivation while the Corinthians should give to the Lord's work. Today, I'm not talking about guilt-based giving. I'm talking about a Jesus follower that knows his life has changed, and when we give financially, how God blesses us in living a generous life. So so let's look at some, some things we can see in here that Paul's talking about when it comes to generosity with our finances. God is pleased with those who give generously. If nothing else, this is the most important thing. I want God pleased with me. I want the creator of the universe pleased with me. I want the beginning, the end, the alpha, omega. I want the all know. I want him pleased with me. He loved me so much that I want him pleased with me. It says in verse six and seven, the point is this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. Paul begins this section with the example of a farmer, a man who only plants a little bit will only harvest a little bit. We have a good example that we have a family that owns a farm in our church. I thought I'd show you a picture of that today. And they put the picture on the screen, I believe, right there. In 1854, James Monroe Flanders, 1854. I know some of you remember when they moved to town in 1854. From Ohio to Hamilton County and started this farm. It's beautiful. I love farms. Some of you are like, man, I'm so tired of being flat. I'm so tired of cornfields. And my family's like, that's awesome. I drive the back way just to see old barns and all that kind of stuff. It's just beautiful. It's a picture, I believe, of how God shows us as we sow into life, we reap what we sow. This farm has not been around this long because they've reaped sparingly. 
I've learned even more about farming since being here. It's actually difficult work. I thought about owning a farm. Then I realized what it took. And I'm like, no, I want to hang out at Starbucks too much. And, and, and uh, I, I look at this family's farm and the reputation that has to have and, and the hard work it has to have and, and the many hours, long hours it has to have. I actually have seed up here from the farm. I actually have seed. I have no idea what kind it is, but it looks cool. And we're going to share it in a moment. Uh, I think of Flanders Amazing Grain Incorporated. And Paul kind of gives the same example in the picture in the Bible. Whether it's your finances, whether it's your time, whether it's your life. The Bible is saying, if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. You don't have a farm for over a hundred years reaping or sowing sparingly. It's hard work. Life is hard work. Life is messy. Not every day on that farm has been happy times. I'm sure that family hasn't liked each other sometimes in the name of Jesus. I'm sure that family has had some times where they've had arguments about how it should go. I'm sure that family's had times where they've had struggles, where they tried to pay their bills, and where they tried to do right, but then someone's used them and abused them. What I'm simply saying, my friend, Christianity isn't you give and you get and you get. Christianity is living a generous life, realizing that the Son of God left his throne and lived a perfect life and was beaten and bruised and shed his blood for the remissions of everybody's sin in this room and out of this room. And so our response isn't guilt. Our response isn't manipulation. Our response isn't if I give, I get four times back. Our response is an almighty God loved me so much that he gave his life for me so I could give my life to others to show he lives. He lives. I serve a risen Savior. He lives today. Some of you didn't think I knew a hymn, but I just quoted one. Boom, mic drop. Paul goes on to add that giving should be done willingly. Contrary to some teaching, this does not mean that Christians do not have to give unless they feel like it. It assumes, in, in line with other biblical teachings in the text, that Christians will obey God's command to give. You see, the issue here is not if Christians will give, The issue is the heart motivation of Christians when they give. They should give willingly. Willingly. You know, we've gotten wrapped up in American consumerism. Around here, it's just about worse than anywhere. We get so wrapped up in our lives and our families and, and curricular activities and we're stretched so thin and we're keeping up with the, everybody around us and we're worried about people understanding that we have messy lives and we're worried about what people think and uh, uh, we're worried about, you know, God blessed us with a home not too long ago that we moved into and we're doing some remodeling. We tore the floors up and, and we're putting in new floors and, and Lori couldn't uh, make up her mind which floor she wanted and so we bought three different floors and returned them in the name of Jesus and now we have no floors in our home right now because it's on back order and they're coming soon. And so we don't want anybody to see us. So we keep the door closed really tight so they can't see in our house that, hey, we have no floors in the name of Jesus. Can you tell my pain? I just thought I'd throw that in the sermon here. The point is, is life's messy. On the outside, the house looks good, but on the inside, the house could be a mess. Going into the kitchen in the family room, everything's okay, but you go into the closet, don't open it because you may die. Everybody in this room has a junk drawer in the name of Jesus. Every man, 
Every man puts his wallet on the counter, his chains on the counter, his keys on the counter, his whole life's on the counter, and we think we have to clean that up, and then we've lost our life if you live in my house for a day in the name of Jesus. My point is life is messy. But in the midst of the mess, God says, hey, even though life is messy and though people use you and people abuse you and people lie about you and people talk about you and they haven't even asked you themselves and and people assume things and and people look at your actions and say, aha, and, and they do all that in life. God says, don't look at that. Look at me when you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. It's not about the reaction of man. It's about the generosity of God. Verse 7 is probably one of the most famous Bible verses that discuss giving. The attitude of the person who is giving or working in some other way makes all the difference. All the difference. You think of chores. Some of you, you, I I talk about my lawn a lot. I love it. Some of you hate it. Uh, I, I think of that. If I hated doing my lawn, it grows so fast here in this area. We had rocks in Las Vegas. And uh, uh, if I hated that much, I, I'd want to put rocks in. But then that would look really weird. But man, how you look at life determines the generosity of how you give. Here's the second thing. God provides for those who give generously. I love this part. If you look at verse number eight, it says, And God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, always having everything you need. Say that with me. Always having everything you need. Say it again. Always having everything you need. You know, we get so caught up and worry about things that are out of our control. But there's a God that says that I give you everything, everything you need. You see, you may not need a BMW. You just may need a car that gets you to point A to point B. Some of you are like, yep, God gave me what I need. Verse 8 reminds us of God's generosity back to us. It says God will generously provide all you need. When you give generously to him, you know what we're missing out on when we hold on to our pockets? We're missing out on the generosity of God. We're missing out on the miracles of God. I'd rather see God work in my life than me try and work in my life any day of the week. I've had to learn that the hard way. I've had to learn that we're robbing ourselves when we don't live a generous life. This is a common theme in Paul's writing. Even after we have given and have experienced God's generosity back to us, we're not to hoard the wealth for ourselves. Paul goes on to say that even an additional experiences of God's generosity are designed to share with others. I, I, I want to draw. Uh, you guys love my drawings, right? Um, I want to draw uh, on this board right here. And I want to draw an arrow, and, and this is on the fly. Isn't this awesome? I'm so glad you can't see that. And, and I want you to write in your notes, God gives generously. God gives over here, over here to my left. God gives generously. God gives generously. This is what Paul's teaching in verse number eight. And here's a second one. Here, over here to the right, we give generously. Our reaction as Jesus followers, listen, this is what we do. I, I don't like this. Well, are they living right before we give? 
Well, are they doing this before we give? That's not, if God calls us to give, God gives us, we give. God gives us, we give. God gives us, we give. And then notice how it all comes together because all it does is just, man, that's a pathetic circle. God gives. God gives. You see, here's what most Christians are missing out on. We're afraid, even though God has called us to give generously, we're afraid if we let it go, it's never coming back. But God tells us if we give generously because he's given generously to us, he'll give generously back. It may not be in the form you want. It may not be exactly what you think. It may not be what you, you, you imagine in your mind. But God says in verse 8, I will give, I will take care of everything a Christian needs that lives a generous life. Lives a generous life. Generosity was quoted in Psalms 112.9. You got to write that down somewhere. Psalms 112.9. I want us to take the generosity challenge from Psalms 112. Psalms 112.9 was quoted in the passage, and the whole chapter is about joy and generosity. Here's, here's the homework challenge. Read the whole chapter with your family and do something generous this week. Paul ends the point by reminding Corinthians that God is the ultimate supplier of, of all things. Paul returns to his farmer illustration to prove this. And he, and he returns to the farmer illustration and, and he takes the illustration of the seed. The seed. And he takes that illustration and, and he tells the Jesus follower, the seed's important. It's not the circumstance that's important. The seed is important. You see, what Jesus has given you and me is eternal life. Would you agree with that? If you're a Jesus follower, there's no better gift than eternal life. And he says, take that seed. You know, we got so much confusion today because we're not learning from God's word. We're learning from experience. Everybody's looking for a sign. There's a big sign. It's called the Holy Bible. It's a big one. Some small ones. Someone's on a phone. Someone's on an iPad. Someone's on a computer. But I'm simply saying is God says, take the seed and don't, don't, don't hoard the seed because if you hoard the seed and life's all about you, then what happens? You never see God give back to you his blessing. And here, here's the last one. Our generous giving causes others to praise God. This is awesome. You see, God gives, we give, God gives. 2 Corinthians 9, 11, would you read that with me? You will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through who? Can you read this verse with me? I don't know if you can see that. Read it with me out loud. Ready? You will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. How many of you want the world to praise God? Anybody want the world to praise God? You know how the world praises God? God uses God's people for God to be praised. When we live a generous life, praise will happen. He says this, which produces thanksgiving to God. Not only does generosity that God gave you provide needs for others, not only does generosity make you closer to God, not only does generosity give you good life with God in a relationship and blessings for your needs, but it also allows others to give thanksgiving to the only one who could make a way. You see, in addition to our generosity, leading to God's blessing for us, our generosity also results in other people praising God. And Paul points this out in verse 11. God's gift to us 
should cause us to praise him and be generous to others. When we are generous to others, they will also praise God and hopefully continue the pattern of being generous to others as well. If God's glory is the goal in all we do, this should make us rejoice. God is glorified by other people who experience his generosity through the means of our generous giving. First week, we put up the Guerreras story. And I want to remind you of a picture of the Guerreras. We'll put up on the screen. We're going to put up on the screen. There they are. There they are. The guy on the left, he's all right. She's fantastic. But this couple was reached because of Handel's ice cream in the name of Jesus. Not really, but kind of. This family was at Handel's Ice Cream, and one of our other families were living a generous life, buying ice cream for those in line. Little did they know what God was stirring in this couple's life. And you know what that's caused? It caused God to show up in the midst of that couple's life some of the hardest circumstances they faced yet as a couple. He used a couple that we gave generously. Not only did they give Handel's ice cream, then they gave their roof over their head for a little while. Then on top of that, a church found out, a church found out and bought them beds and bought them clothes and bought them things so they could live and feel human during a fire. And then I see on social media last night that there's a small group meeting to give generously to a young lady that's about to have a baby who was uh, married to Chris Nye in this stage right here who he accepted Christ a year ago in my family room. And God gives, we give, God gives, we give. You can have your theology. I'll take this on the front row. You can have all your church life. I'll take this on the front row. Why? Because when we give generously, then God gives generously, and then it causes people to praise his name. That couple couldn't say anything else, but God is alive. That couple couldn't say anything else, but God is all-knowing. That couple couldn't say anything else in the midst of tragedy. He never left them. He never forsook them. He knew right where they were at, and it was because God's people gave generously. It's awesome. It's awesome. So as we conclude today, the only reason I'm concluding is because there's another service behind you. God's given generously to you. The action we need to do is we need to give generously. What is stopping you are you too busy with your family? Are, are, are you too stretched thin in your finances? Have you, have you not buried your dreams and it's all about your dreams and not God's vision to be glorified for you? Let me tell you about this challenge. This is how we're gonna kind of end today. I, and I accept challenge. I want our whole church to do a generosity challenge, Psalms 112. Here's what I want you to do. Psalms 112, I accept challenge. But before we do that, I want to explain something. There is a church downtown, a church planner. He started a church a little over a year ago. And 
he is in the poorest area in our city. I don't know if we can put that picture up. It's called Living Faith Church. Living Faith Church, the church planner and his wife, they've adopted four kids out of horrible situations. Uh, They are living a life downtown, and they have led to Christ many college students. My staff's been laughing at me. I've been trying to say the name, but I-U-P-U-I, is that say that right? Ooey pooey, people say, stink, whatever. Uh, Living Faith Church was given a building. Right now, they are meeting in an old building that's been condemned, no AC, no plumbing, in Indianapolis. I tell you, I told him, I met with him yet, yet this week, and I said, those better be fast services. <laughs> You'll get it later. Go to the next screen for me. Go, there we go. Hallville, Indiana. It reminds me of Whoville with Christmas. <laughs> anyway, that's a joke. I did. Hallville. Listen, look at that. 93% lower income than the rest of the United States of America. 93%. So they have scrounged up all this money to buy a building downtown in in this city, right in Indianapolis there, that building I just showed you. They've been working on it, working on it, and they keep having to meet, and they cannot finish this building. They come to their their wits' end. I met with a discouraged church planner going, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know how we're going to do it. The people keep coming. These college students keep coming. The people in that area keep coming. They keep trying to reach people, trying to get people off drugs trying to get people uh, back to being solvent in their life. And so then the city there is trying to rejuvenate the area. So they have told them, we'll give you a $10,000 matching grant. So that $10,000 matching grant, if you find another 10 grand, that's 20 grand. If you don't find 10 grand, you can find five grand. If you don't find 10 grand, it all goes away. And so it will get them in the building, not finish the building. That's going to be the next challenge. Just hold on one at a time. So this city has offered them this. And keep going. Let's go to the next screen. I I want you to take the challenge that this church is going to raise 10 grand in two weeks for that church. We have needs here. We have expansion needs. But we're more about expanding the kingdom of God. And I think they need that 10 grand. How many of you believe that? Now, hold on. Before you start clapping. We have a light bill. The last thing I want you to do, because everybody does this as fishers, is pull out a checkbook. No, no, no. That's not what this generosity challenge is all about. You keep giving to Hamilton Hills. Because if you stop giving to Hamilton Hills and you don't tithe to this church, you don't give money to this church, first of all, that's a whole different issue. But, but, but if you take money away from tithing here, we can't do this all over the world. So here's what I want you to do. I want get you to get your family out of your little bubble. I want you to meet with your family, single mom, single dad, or, or, or by yourself, I want you to read. Say, I accept the challenge. I'm reading Psalms 112, and I'm going to find a way to give outside of my comfort zone. That means many of you could probably take a trip to GameStop if you have teenagers in the name of Jesus, or whatever that is. That was someone gamer told me uh, that you could sell it even for more money. A bake sale. Uh, uh, selling. So I want you to challenge your kids' generosity. Uh, go back to the screen with that city. Take a picture. Everybody pull out your camera. Take a picture of that right there to discuss. Uh, or don't. I, I was just going to, I was stretching you to try and 
respond to taking a picture, but that didn't work. But take a picture of that, and I want you to discuss it. How can we raise 10 grand without pulling it out of our checking account? How can we raise 10 grand without our offering? Hey, if our offering goes down the next two weeks, not good enough. That's not generous. How many of you believe that? It's not generous. We're going to be generous. That may mean we don't go to Starbucks the next two weeks. That may mean that kid needs to go to cheer once this week instead of twice. That may mean that the guitar is going to play out of nowhere. (laughs) That may mean you sell something that you really like. Here's what we're going to do to end. There's post-it notes. See this? God gives. We give. God gives. I want you to stand to your feet. This is how we're going to respond. This may take a minute or it may take two seconds. We have two tables here. There's two different cards. People took my uh, stuff here, but there's two different cards. There's this card right here on the table. It says, my name is Mark. You write in Mark. That would, and your name, your name isn't Mark, but, and it says, and I accept the generosity challenge. I want you to write that. And I want you to keep it with you. And then there's a post-it note. I want you to write, I accept, and your last name at the bottom. And after you write it, someone in your family, take that post-it note and slap it on that little diagram right there. If you accept the challenge. I'm going to pray over this. And I don't want it to be something we can write from our checkbook. I want it to be God, Psalms 112. There's joy in giving generously. There's joy in my life. There's joy with my children. There's joy with my spouse to step out of our bubble and reach out and say, I've got an extra coat. I've got an extra game. I've got an extra TV. I've got something that I can stop doing. If it's $10, $20, whatever it is, we say, God gave to me. I give to others. God gives to me. Jesus, I pray that your people will move. I pray that we would get uncomfortable the next two weeks. I pray on Generosity Sunday in two weeks that we celebrate that we have too much money that we can even finish their building so that the drug rehab can start and so the counseling can start and so that city will see, Hawville will see that because we were focused on expanding your kingdom, because we are focused on you giving to us that we give to others because we realize that there's joy in the journey and we realize that praise comes when people pray and give generously. Move, God. Move. Show us more than ever before that when we give generously, you will meet our needs in Jesus' name. As they sing, they're gonna have, somebody's gonna have to start this, these tables, and you're gonna have to wait in line. Let's go right now. Let's do it. Somebody start it. Let's sing together right now. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you made a decision or would like to know more about us, you can connect with us at hamiltonhillschurch.org or via social media at Hamilton Hills Church. Also, if our church has impacted you in any way and you would like to make a donation, you can do so by going to hamiltonhillschurch.org slash give. We hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time on the Hamilton Hills Church Podcast.